0: at ChristianCrusaders.org. okay let's get started with today's episode here's our host matt reester the executive director of christian crusaders
1: hey everybody matt reester with the cc podcast conversations andrew is here with me andrew how are you doing today great man how are you good I haven't seen you for a couple days took a quick road trip and yeah <laughs>
2: yeah i know hard. been in and out that's okay though
1: yes yeah, sir we're gonna listen to an interview today with mike hudson and i was able to interview mike hudson back during the cedar falls bible conference he was one of our speakers He's a pastor at Christ Venice. That's what they call their church in Venice, Florida. And it is part of the United Methodist Church. Mm-hmm. And they're going through some funky denominational stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Kind of rough. Uh, great speaker, though. I love listening to him. Uh, very dynamic, very engaging. Uh, really think our, our audience is going to get a lot out of this.
1: Here's what I would say about Mike. And this is a compliment. And people are going to think as I'm saying it that maybe it's not. But I'm going to land the plane on this. There are you have an impression of some pastors, especially like mainline denominational pastors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Kind of mainline denominations tend to be a little more traditional, a little yep. more. Sure. Sometimes you can get a drier type guy there. Sure. Um, and then you got mainline guys who kind of know that image and they don't want to be that, so they try way way hard to be the cool, yeah. on the trendy guy. Yeah. And and Mike is just a guy. Right. He's he preached in an Atlanta Braves polo. I love it. Right. He's a Braves fan. Yeah, you know I,
2: mean, I mean, I don't approve of that, but <laughs> but yeah, we, I mean, we can. I mean, but he, it's like he's yeah. not
1: he's not trying to be way way cool, and he's and he's not like unrelatably dry. Exactly right. He's just like, he's who he is. Right,
2: and I appreciate that about him, and that that to me that shows that shows faith. Uh, that's an, that's evidence of faith to me because. He he realizes God made him a certain way, and he realizes that God knows that 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 he made he made Mike Hudson in this particular way, and that he's going to reach a certain number of people in a certain way if he stays true to to, to what God made him and, yeah, and, and who just, he is. He's comfortable in his own. It's skin. just refreshing. It's it's really totally. great. Yep.
1: Not only that, but the messages he gave at the Bible conference were phenomenal. Yeah, he spoke three times. And the second one in particular, I mean, they were all good, but the second one was, I, I think, phenomenal. We got a ton of great feedback on it. And just in the midst of a denomination that is like drifting into apostasy, yeah, he has just determined that I might get weird looks from some of my colleagues in yep. the denomination. I might get some people who don't like me, but I am going to stand on the Word of God, right. period. Right. And I think that the reason that church is doing well uh, is that the Lord's blessing a guy like that? Yeah. Um, he texted me. We, we talked about baseball because we're both baseball fans. Yep. I remind him in 1996, uh, which is yeah. when the Yankees beat the Braves in the World Series. But uh,
2: yeah, the Braves beat my Astros last year. So I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to engage in that same text <laughs> message string with him.
1: But we talked about doing a spring training game because their spring training place, Atlantis, is right down by Venice. Oh, yeah. And so he's going to look at the schedule and see if the Yankees are down there. And they are. So we've got a tentative date on the schedule uh, to go down and watch. I've never been to spring, spring training. We've been to all these stadiums, but not spring training.
2: The only spring training I've been to is actually Braves. And that was back when the Braves did their spring training on Disney property. Oh at, wow! At Walt Disney World, they used to go to the Wide World of Sports and do all oh, their spring yeah. training, and, and they had a nice, really nice little baseball stadium there. Yeah, uh, and somebody else took over. There's somebody else there now, but yeah, so that's actually the only spring training I've ever been to. Is uh, that's awesome. seeing a, It wasn't even a game; it was just like a session, like a training session.
1: That's awesome. Well, I hope I hope we can get down there for that, and I, people are going to enjoy this interview. This is a, a man of God who is bold. And he doesn't just say boldness; he lives boldness. Because in the situation he's in right now, I mean, they're looking at leaving their denomination yeah. over this, which they should because they've given up the word of God. Right. And um, and I know that that's not easy. I mean, right. And you can say what you want to say, but when push comes to shove, are you going to do what you say?
2: Right. Yeah, it's really stepping out on a limb in faith. And we'll see where this goes. He,
1: he was recommended to us by some local faithful attenders and supporters of the Bible Conference. So we're thankful to them, and we're thankful to Mike for his time—not just at the conference, but to sit down and do this conversation with me. So, absolutely enjoy this. And if you do want to hear his messages, we'll link those in the show notes from the Bible Conference. Yep, perfect. So, thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Matt Reister here with the CC Podcast Conversations, and I've got with me Mike Hudson. Mike preached at the 2022 Cedar Falls Bible Conference. First time up here. First time in Iowa, Mike?
3: Yeah, first time in Iowa. So what are your first impressions? Love it. Love it. I mean, the people are fantastic, and in, in the summer, it's very green. Everything. It is very green. Very green. So it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, we just, my wife and I were here. First time. Loved it. How many? Have you been to many midwestern Midwestern states? Way back in the day, um, so my first job out of college, I was a consultant for a fraternity, and so I got to visit a, a, over a hundred colleges around the U.S. And so traveled through Indiana, Illinois, um, Michigan, a little bit, a little Wisconsin. But uh, hey. so
1: you've seen like you've seen the Midwest during harvest time. Yeah. Okay. That's because that's a different look. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Seen it. I've seen Indiana in the winter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> like, what? Do you know what school you remember? Oh, um, gosh. You, name one. Um, let's see. Indiana uh, University of Indiana, Purdue. Indiana State? Uh, yep. Yep. Wabash, Rose Holman. Okay. Um, what, what fraternity? Uh, Lambda Chi Alpha.
1: Lambda Chi Yeah, Alpha. this
3: was in the early 90s. This is a long time ago. Okay. But it, so, yeah. <laughs> so, how'd you get into that? Uh, well, I was in a fraternity in college. Where at? Uh, Florida Southern. Okay. Uh, that's in Lakeland, Florida. So, I um, was in the fraternity and, and then they hire uh, consultants, basically guys who go around and, and visit chapters. In a, they're in a different campus every three days and they just do evaluations for, for uh, how the chapter operates, that kind of stuff. So, it's, it's kind of like Groundhog Day. Every, if you remember the movie, I,
1: it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah.
3: So every three days, you're you're having the same conversations, uh, <laughs> the same situations. People freak out when you show up. They, they, you know. So it was like living Groundhog Day for two years. I love
1: it. <laughs> do, you, I mean, do you like Groundhog Day? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you know that it's like one of the most supposedly religiously significant movies ever made?
3: How's that? Tell so. Me.
1: I, I took a class in college called Religion, Ethics, and Film, which you can imagine was an elective. <laughs> <laughs> I was big on electives. Yep. Um, and it was a phenomenal class taught by a pagan professor in the humanities department or philosophy and religion. Yeah. And we would watch a film. It was a night class. And we would watch a film once every week and then we'd have 2 days to write an essay with all these things on it and then we would have a 3 hour discussion based on our essays yeah, yeah. the next time yeah and it was a phenomenal class that taught me to think and taught me to appreciate film to a degree that I didn't before before i was just watching film to be entertained
3: yeah oh yeah
1: but groundhog day so for example what i can, so be, i was annoyed by groundhog day before i saw took this class yeah and then it's like this Film is brilliant. It's not Christian, right? It's religious, uh-huh. and so, um, for example, Phil has a, Phil has a God complex. Yes. Oh yeah. He, remember, he's like that snow that that blizzard's coming to town, and they get stopped in the traffic, and the cops telling him you have to turn around and get back to Puxatani. Yeah. And and Phil, the weatherman, the meteorologist, is out there arguing with him. He's like, "There's not a storm, I." I'm, I'm weather a weatherman. Man. <laughs> I make the weather. Do right. you remember when he said, I yeah. make the weather? Yeah. And then he goes through this whole cycle of using these extra days, this day over and over and over, to just fulfill, his, yeah, right. fulfill yeah. his own pleasures.
3: Yeah, whatever I want to do. Yep.
1: And, and then he goes through this despondence stage where he's, like, trying to kill himself yep. every day, and he keeps waking up. And then finally, and there's there's a bunch more depth to it than what I'm saying. I'm just scratching yep. the surface. Then finally... When he finally doesn't try to get the gal in bed, and it just he makes it about her Uh and not just trying to gratify himself, then he finally wakes up and it's the next day. Yeah, like he was finally reincarnated, Hmm. and that's where it's not Christian.
3: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: you need to watch what you need to do, and anyone in this audience should do. I don't know. Should I recommend Groundhog Day? I don't know <laughs> if I should or not. <laughs> I think we have. Yeah. There it is. So you need to Google like the, the theological or the religious significance of Groundhog Day. There's a couple really good articles. Read them and then watch the movie. And it, even if you hated the movie, I think you'll like it. And if you like the movie, you'll love it. It's yeah. like top five for me.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you, there, you do it... That would have been a great class, uh, I'm sure, just because so many movies are, are at that level. I mean, you, if you watch uh, even even the Marvel films now oh, that yeah. have come out, you know, and you, you um, I remember we were watching, I was, I was with my kids, we were in the theater, and we are watching, uh, which, which one was it, uh, a, um, Age of Ultron. Okay, yeah. Right? And so Vision comes popping out of the thing, and they ask him, who are you? And he just says, "I am." And yes. I and I leaned over to my kids and I said, "That's not his line. He doesn't get to say that." That's right. Right? Yeah. But that's exactly where th- that whole thing goes when you when you uh, watch Thanos and he says, "I am inevitable." In other yeah. words, destruction, chaos, all that stuff is—it's just inevitable. Yep. Um, and so that's really the. the there's all the superhero movies, yeah. in my humble opinion, yeah. are fantastic when they're trying to do the self-discovery, the the who am I there, right? and trying to answer that question. Yes. And when they get past that, yes. they all kind of start to tank. That's right. You know, they yep. you just kind of be like, okay, all right, whatever. But, yeah, um, yeah so all of them, what, you know, I am Iron Man. I mean, that's he starts <laughs> yep. you know, the first one, and then he, he ends it the same way, right? Yeah. So, so all, good. Man. Yeah, all those things—they're—they're they're, they're all there. And I remember do, uh, watching movies. My kids don't like watching movies with me because I—I'll talk like that. You yeah, know, yeah. Somebody yeah. say something. Like, oh, you, you know that's what it. Re-
1: Dad, just yeah. stop. <laughs> Can we just watch the movie? That's good though. Oh, I think so. Yeah. And, I mean, training, training our kids to listen to music for—that's all over. It's in literature. It's mm-hmm. in movies. Back to religion, ethics, and film. Another one of my favorite movies because of that class. The Green Mile. Yeah. Have you ever seen Tom it? Tom Hanks, right? And, I mean, you, you have to have seen this before. John Coffey, J.C., Jesus Christ. Right. Oh, yeah. Takes all the sins well, from oh everyone. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that just powerful? And then dies? Oh, yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that we're talking about this because just earlier today I was sitting right here talking with Alex McFarlane. Um, He's one of the guys who's over talking to the kids in the retreat house, junior high and senior high, and we were talking about the arts and about entertainment and and music and different secular music that we've listened to before and one of the questions was they didn't set out to convey these messages you know i I don't think i mean the green mile i think that was spielberg or or it was stephen king maybe that wrote the book
3: yeah I, i think it was king that wrote the book so
1: there's no way that he was like i'm gonna encapsulate the gospel in this book, it's Stephen King. Right. What, what do you think the oh, yeah. Lord's role in all that is? Because you see that all over the place. Right.
3: I think that there is. We, we're hardwired to desire redemption. Yeah. And it's just God has has um, since the fall. He has. It's it's just in the fabric of creation to to have the the uh, the hero give himself yeah in order to bring salvation yeah. I mean that's why we all it's a good movie if you walk out and you're you're glad the good guy won and yeah. things resolve to a to a you know a good triumphs over evil kind of thing and so you're like oh yeah that was a great movie if it's the other way around you walk out you go oh that's so dark yeah I, I just didn't like because I think we're just hardwired yeah for that kind of thing. And so I think the universe really just kind of screams redemption. Yes. So I had a professor in seminary once. He says, you know, if you squeeze anything hard enough, it'll shout gospel. Cool. And, it, you know, you, you I think that's the case. I mean, I think that's God, amazing. God's just put it into the fabric of the universe. That's so that cool. Yeah. If you're looking for it, you can, you, you can squeeze it out.
1: One of the quotes that Alex shared today in the interview that we did which by the way will be on this same podcast a different episode and it was a quote from somebody but they said even the man going to the brothel is searching for God Mm -hmm. it's kind of the same idea like there's this universal reality this universal truth that is imprinted on everyone whether they acknowledge it or recognize it or not yeah
3: yeah oh absolutely I mean we're made in the image of God. Yeah. And whether you believe uh, that, that that image was totally destroyed in the fall or if it was shattered or broken, yeah. it's you know, there's something that we long and hunger for to get back to how we were originally created. Yeah. And I th- I think that's what that's what you see all throughout culture even when they don't know that's what they're yeah. what they're searching for, um, you know, there it is. And, and you see it in in uh, music. Yep. Uh, with artists as they you know all that all the all the songs where they're screaming for meaning and and, and searching for stuff it's it's they're they're expressing somewhere along the the um the, the meta narrative of the scripture. Yeah. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration.
1: Totally. I don't want to spend too much more time on movies, but <laughs> going to the other end of the spectrum where there's no redemption. Have you ever seen the movie The Road to Perdition?
3: No. No.
1: Now, brother to brother. I don't know, I'm not recommending this to our broader audience, but The Road to Perdition, Tom Hanks, it's a mobster movie, Mm -hmm. and it's got ties to Iowa because some of it's in Davenport, Iowa, which is between, uh, Al Capone's route was through the Quad Cities to Chicago. Okay. So uh, another one that is ultimately depressing at the end with no redemption, you've seen the Godfather series? Yes. So the old man's just sitting in the chair, and it's over.
3: It's over. Apple falls out of his hand. That's it. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, so let's talk about Mike Hudson, the pastor. How did you even get to the point where you want to do this? Were you born and raised in Florida? No. No. So kind of give us give us your story.
3: So uh, born in Virginia, lived in outside of Atlanta as a young kid, and then um, right before eighth grade, my Where da- in Virginia. Uh, Roanoke. Okay. Yep. So uh, in, the, in the mountains, um, but uh, right before eighth grade, uh, my family moved to Jacksonville, Florida. And um, you know we've gone to church our whole life, but you know it was confirmed, that kind of stuff, but, but uh, Methodist Church, yep, Methodist Church. And uh, so we get to Jacksonville and we don't know anybody and it's about three weeks before school starts. And uh, my mom says, look, you're gonna, you're gonna go to this church youth group. They're having a youth week. And uh, so you're gonna go there and, and meet some people before school starts and you know, I'm eighth grade, so I say, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything that my mother says is good for me. So we go, and, and um, uh, there were cute girls there, and yeah, and they started talking to me, and that so I was hooked. I was in after that. And Let's then, go to
1: church camp again. Exactly. And
3: so then I heard uh, the, the speaker that week. He, he was sharing that the, um, you know you had to have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, and you know, he you know, and he said the stuff that, that, that uh, people don't like to say these days, and that is uh, it's either heaven or hell, and Jesus is the only way. Yeah. And so I said, I really don't want to do the hell route. Yeah. So, okay, uh, Jesus, you know, I, I'm all in. Here we go. And uh, so I was born again at 13 and then just loved being in youth group um, all through high school. College um, worked and did did uh, ministry with a, a husband and wife team that would go do concerts. So I was like the sound guy. Um, so I was a roadie for cool. uh, three summers. Yeah, it was fun, a lot of fun. And um, uh, then I got out of college, worked for the fraternity, but after that, did youth
1: ministry for thirteen years. Did you ever like have any wilds period or like like drifting away from the Lord or you know interesting? No, nothing,
3: nothing. Um, that that people would publicly like yeah, like drinking, no, doing drugs. Yeah, no, nothing, nothing, no, no, no uh, real rebellious period. I did have a time in college. You know, you take a couple classes and and you you're left scratching your head, going, okay, what do I really believe? Yes. You know, um, so stuff like that. But but never never just said, oh hey, just just go do what I want to do. Kind yeah, of stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, so you know, always. Always knew Jesus was with me, and yep. and uh, wanted to be with Him. So, uh, did youth ministry for 13 years, and then went to uh, during that time went to seminary at Asbury Seminary. Uh, yep. They have a, had a campus in Orlando, and uh, so I would would uh, commute once a week from Jacksonville to Orlando, uh, and then uh, uh, was appointed. You know, in the Methodist Church, they they appoint pastors to places. So I was appointed uh, as an associate pastor at a church in Jacksonville, where I actually did youth ministry for about three and a half years. So that was kind of a homecoming. Uh, and then was uh, about eight years ago uh, moved to Venice, Florida. So been been in Venice since.
1: So how long have you been a pastor? A Methodist pastor. Not I'm not counting like youth leader stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sixteen years. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you kind of went to seminary way through your career
3: Yeah, so I was I was a full-time youth minister doing seminary
1: mm-hmm. and, and what made you want to take that next step
3: <laughs> um, so uh, our, our uh, we have an annual conference where all the you know the pastors get together all the Methodist pastors in, in Florida it's called annual conference and so the uh, the church I was at the senior pastor, uh, they were going to be gone. And I said, well, look what, well, you know, if you need someone to preach for you, so you don't have to do a sermon and be at this thing, I'll, I'll preach for you. And he yeah. said, great. So I, i I preached and, um, that next Monday I walked into his office and I said, Hey, that was a lot of fun. So if you ever want me to do that again, you just let me know. i will be happy to do it. The, the part-time associate pastor was a retired pastor who used to be the dean of admissions at, uh, at a seminary and uh, was good friends with folks who were getting the Asbury campus started in Orlando. And he said, let's go to lunch. And I said, sweet, you're going to buy lunch? That would be awesome. Yeah. So uh, we went to lunch, and, and he starts the conversation. He pulls out the course catalog book, and he says, I don't think you should take Greek your first semester. And I'm looking at him like, what are you talking about? He's and so he said, you you said you wanted to preach, right? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, that's a call. And whoop we'll, and we, I, you know, wow. I was, you know, I I went to seminary almost like uh, Jonah went to Nineveh. You know, I was kind of dragging dragging my feet a little bit, but uh, I loved it. Asbury Seminary is a terrific uh, seminary. They they you know they really. Um, that they're a seminary that wants the, the people who graduate from there. Uh, they really go after. Hey, this is the Word of God. This is, um, and they've stuck to that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Timothy Tennant. Uh, I
1: assumed that they hadn't, just because almost nobody has.
3: That's very Now, obviously, you've got. You've got people, professors, people who graduate from there who go in different directions. Yeah, right. But the seminary as a whole, uh, their 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 ministry is the whole Bible for the whole world. That's that's their that's their mission statement okay. or their tagline, I guess. But you know, they they very much are about the you know the Word of God. Um, and yeah, uh, it, it was. It's been a real blessing just to continue to be with them. Uh, the president, Dr. Timothy Tennant, has he he writes some tremendous books. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, anybody who's listening, if you want to read some good uh, Wesleyan uh, theology or, or missional stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Tennant is is top notch.
1: I went to. So what years were you there?
3: Um, let's see.
1: Oh, I, something.
3: Yeah, I squeezed five years into my three-year degree, so I was okay. there from '99 to 2004.
1: Okay. So I was at another denomination seminary, which every time I tell this story, I want to say the name of it so bad because I want to bust through it, but I always resist. But if anyone wants to know, I will answer privately. <laughs> I'm just not going to broadcast it publicly. Um, so contact me. But I was at another denomination seminary in the school year of 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And I quit after one year because there was grievance after grievance after grievance of them just not taking the word seriously right. at all. Right. And I was thinking, man, I don't know if I can ride this out for another three years. And finally there were a couple things where the straw broke the camel's back and I'm done and I'm out of there. And their drift had obviously started well before I was there because it was blatantly obvious mm-hmm. By that time. Um, And so then I came back to a church that was within that denomination that was a lot more conservative. And when I say conservative, I'm not talking politics, Republican, Democrat. I'm talking theologically. Believe the Bible. Believe the gospel. Right. And um, so I I, uh, came back to that church and was a college ministry director. And I started to talk about what I was seeing at seminary yeah. in a way that was like you better look out for what's coming. Yeah. And of course the pastors from that denomination who were at the church I was working at didn't like that too much. No. And so I never I was kind of a little bit oil and water with our pastoral staffs because they weren't they thought maybe I was a little too alarmist. Mhm. And uh and I was adamant and Fortunately, the church was big enough that we could all coexist and the college ministry was doing well, and so whatever. Yeah. And then I eventually left that and did some political stuff. But, you know, the reason I bring all that up is because you've been in a, a process in your own denomination mm-hmm. of this kind of thing happening. And everyone wants to talk about the symptoms. The problem right. is the Word of God. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, when did you first see cracks? In the foundation, so to speak, or you know what I'm asking?
3: Right. Yeah. You know, uh, all along, really. I mean, you just kind of
1: like I mean, you said the seminary was solid. Did you see? Did you see anything at the seminary that you're like, that doesn't look good? No, the seminary.
3: um, They did a good job in in saying, okay, this is theological liberalism. And okay. so you know, we we took a look at it and and said, this is what you know Schleiermarker and all those guys. They, you know, here's yeah. here's what they here's what they're doing. They're moving the authority from uh, you know reason to experience. So they and,
1: exposed you to it, but yeah. named it what it was, yep. and didn't embrace it in any way.
3: Right. I mean. Clearly, there were several people on campus—students and of maybe course. even uh, some of the professors—who uh, probably did embrace it. But because of the the ethos statement, you know, they they um, uh, they yeah they, they, they helped you steer through some of that stuff. And so it wasn't um, what a lot of my friends or colleagues have experienced. I mean, I have uh, I have friends that uh, going through college um, believers you know, born again, uh, filled with the Spirit, that yep. kind of stuff, feel called to ministry, uh, go to seminary and come out, and it, their faith is just, I mean, it's unrecognizable. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, you just look at them and go, okay, what happened here? Yeah. Um, and then I also have colleagues and friends of mine who went to, to seminaries that are just completely left, uh, and they're not. Yeah, they're they, they kind of say, yeah, you know, I, I'm a survivor. I'm, you know, that's yeah. kind of how they tag themselves. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you can you can get through it. But you it comes down to re- really. Um, <laughs> this, this is what I think it comes down to. I was with a, a, a group of ministers, an ecumenical group. So not everyone was Methodist. I mean, we're all all over the place. Uh, and we were sitting around talking and, and um, uh, we were meeting about once a month and, and uh, having conversations and so once we kind of got to know each other a little bit you know then the, the conversations come out everybody's trying to feel each other out where yeah. are, where are you yeah and um. So uh, they start talking about, you know, someone makes a comment about uh, Jonah and, you know, they roll their eyes. Oh, yeah, he was swallowed by, a, you know, a giant fish. Yeah. Okay, yeah, sure. And then, OK, you know, creation. OK, well, you know, and now you know and you, so you all. So now I'm sitting in, in a room
0: with mm-hmm. the ministers
3: who are kind of letting down their guard a little bit and saying, yeah, this is what I, I don't accept that. You know, th- that can't be possible. Yeah, yeah. And so I I get a little frustrated and I, and I, and and the Lord just kind of gave me these words and and he, and and so I said, you know, guys, I, I, I took those classes and and I read those books and I I get what you're saying. But at the end of the day, I don't think that when I stand before Jesus, he's going to put his arm around my shoulder and say, you know, Mike, you believed my word just a little too much.
1: I've said that a hundred times. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't,
3: it's It's not like when we stand before Christ, he's going to turn to the father and say, oh, this one, he outsmarted us, dad. You know, yeah. he, he figured it out. Good for him. Way yeah. to go. That's not the case. If anything, Jesus, I, if I'm honest, Jesus is going to look at me and he's going to say, oh, you of little faith. Why'd you doubt? It was all right there.
1: Yeah. It's all right there. Yeah, that's powerful. So I want to dwell on Jonah a little bit because. That was, I mean, from, I bet 20 years ago when I had this experience, it was like if I'm hiring a pastor and if I get, if I'm, if I'm on, a, on a call committee and I get one question, my question is, did Jonah get swallowed by a fish? Be, and, and I've brought this up to other people and they kind of scoff at it, like don't be so dogmatic about something that's so insignificant to the gospel. But the problem is, is your answer to that question reveals a lot about how you view scripture. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't understand is it's not just about Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. It's
3: about the resurrection.
1: And it's about Jesus. Yeah. So here, here's one thing that uh, Jesus refers to Jonah. That's exactly right. As being swallowed by a fish. Yes. So I was talking to a guy about this who's relatively conservative theologically. He would say that faith in Christ is the only way to be saved. Mm-hmm. But he wants to give up some of these things because intellectually they're too hard. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is an interesting hoop to jump through. But he said, you know, just like a preacher today might refer to a scene from Star Wars, this is a ubiquitous cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows Darth Vader is Luke's dad or whatever. And you're going to make some spiritual point out of that in your sermon so you're drawing from fiction that is agreed upon to be fiction mm-hmm. to make this point. And he was suggesting that that's what Jesus was doing by referring back to Jonah. Mm-hmm. Just because Jesus referred to Jonah yeah. as having been in the fish for three days doesn't mean that it actually had to happen. Well, that's a very slippery slope. And, and what you said a second ago is exactly what I've said, which is, you know what? When I get to heaven and God says, you know what, Reaster It actually wasn't a real fish Mm -hmm. it it was a metaphor and when jesus referred to it he knew that he was referring to something that didn't historically happen like i'm gonna be like okay sorry god that i believed your word right yeah like like you just said yeah it just had a little too much faith yeah now i'm not saying i have crazy faith because like you said yeah there's plenty of doubt yeah and there's plenty of little faith lack of faith Mm -hmm. tony evans has a great illustration about a captain in a ship going through the sea. And he gets a radio call. And the call says that he needs to adjust his ship three degrees to the north. Right. Have you heard this? Yep, yeah. And at the end of it, and and, and so the captain is like, no, I'm not going to do that, you, you adjust your ship. Comes back again, you adjust your ship. He says, no, I'm a United States Naval captain, this big in the britches guy. And and the guy comes back and says, I'm the lighthouse. Yeah. And his whole, his whole punchline is, God's the lighthouse, and he doesn't move. Mm-hmm. And we need to adjust our lives to conform to him yeah. and to his word. Yeah. And too many people at high levels in denominations, in seminaries, in pulpits, uh, in, in ministry leadership positions are treating God's word like a boat that can be manipulated to their liking rather than the lighthouse that is the standard.
3: Right. Yeah. We get to sit in judgment on the word of God. It doesn't sit in judgment on us. So I can pick and choose what I want out of scripture to believe or to say this is true or this is um, applicable today. Mm-hmm. And well, that's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, oh, my gosh, you're you you're 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 you're, it, you're the captain with your boat and you're going to crash your boat because you're just. Yeah, you're you're playing God at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, the the. The metaphor, uh, Paul does the same thing. When Paul, in Romans, he's, he's talking about Adam, and then he says Jesus is the second Adam. Right. Right? Uh, nobody is going to die for a metaphor. Right. Nobody. Jesus, if, if, if as Paul makes his case and his argument, and he says Adam sinned and, and death entered the world through one man, so through one man— uh, redemption comes, right? Salvation yeah. through Christ. It, it, it makes no sense to have a literal death for a metaphorical person. Yes, doesn't it? Just the whole argument goes uh, cattywampus. I mean, yeah. just and so uh, it's this. It's the same thing when people say, "Oh, Adam and Eve. Oh, that's a that's a myth. That's just creation myth, and you can't." Well, yeah. I believe Adam's a real person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna meet him someday. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the reason, <laughs> the reason Jesus shows up the way he does is because they messed up. Right. And so uh, you know there's the Bible is is uh, God's story uh, of how He's redeeming and restoring creation. Yeah. The whole thing front yeah. to back.
1: Yeah, that's great stuff. So I I think that there are aspects of scripture that are hard for me to believe. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've pretty much said, I'm going to change my mind to fit what scripture says, and I'm going to change it by faith. Now here's the thing is I'm not just believing the entire thing by faith blindly. There is a lot of solid evidence for the resurrection, Mm -hmm. for several things that are maybe easier to believe, I think creation is actually pretty easy to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are some other aspects that are like, man, how did that happen? And because it's easier for me to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Mm -hmm. than not, or to believe in a God that created the world than not, I'm convinced that it's all true. And in other smaller ways that maybe I have doubt, I just conform that doubt to what the word says. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like you're not going to get in trouble that way, the way that you would get in trouble and that we're seeing the fruit of this Mm -hmm. when you just pick and choose. I'm going to go with the stuff. That's easy for me to believe that I, that I'm and and I'm going to just write off the stuff that's not right.
3: Yeah. And you know, um, I think uh, there, there was a time, I I think especially the, the, the 20th century uh, where, where people uh, were more. It was more problematic to deal with the miracles, uh, to deal with um, here. You know, here is here is um, Jesus feeding five thousand with you know just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. You know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's let's explain that away by people became generous when they saw Jesus in this little boy share, yep. and so you know that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting. I don't know, but I, it'd be interesting to find out though. But I'm leaning to to think that people now have more of a difficulty with some of the ethical challenges in the Scripture than they do even the miracles. Uh So that, you know, why does God send Joshua in to wipe out entire villages? Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. I can't believe in a God who would order that. Yeah. You know, so I think. um, But but it's interesting. Uh,
1: They don't say, well, that was a metaphor right that really happened yeah and that's why god is is hard to believe in right so, there, so that there, is interesting So yeah i've so, never heard someone make that point
3: so that, you know if that if we can dismiss all of the other stuff and say metaphor myth legend but the ethical situations in the bible that i don't like like um uh polygamy or or you know this ethnic cleansing of of the promised land yeah you know that kind of stuff uh but that's not metaphor Mm. right that no that happened and i now i'm i'm angry about it and i can't believe in a god like that mm-hmm. so it's really interesting to see how how some of that stuff pivots and i i think we'll see more of that especially in a generation that is geared towards social action yeah. you know they're raised on this change the world mentality we yeah. gotta we gotta save the planet we gotta make a difference yeah. you know all that stuff so
1: so back to the question i was asking earlier that we kind of got a little sidetracked from What when did you start to see cracks in in, in, and maybe describe? I don't know, like the Lutheran Church that I'm familiar with. There's different strands of Lutheran. Some Mm -hmm. are more conservative than others. Is that the case in Methodist Church? Yes.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of of traditional uh, conservative Methodist churches. Um, uh, You notice it. uh, I, I begin to notice it as a youth director. So I would go to camp, you know, the Methodist camp, and you would you would look and you would go. Okay, there's there's no altar call, right? Ah. There's no why why not? Yeah, why you know my the church I grew up in the Methodist church I grew up in was conservative. I mean, uh, you know we we were um, uh, we were we were sharing Jesus. We were we were saying mm-hmm. hey you need to share Jesus with your friends. You need to invite them uh, to church. You need to you know here's what the script you know so uh, then you'd go to some of this other stuff and and there would there wouldn't be that. It was more of you got to be a nice person, you got to yep. do you be on board with this cause and, and yep. so you just slip you know Jesus is great and see he's our example. Jesus would do this. you yep. see how Jesus loves other people, therefore you should love other people and, yep. and that kind of stuff. So you, I started to see it as, as a youth director and going, wait wait a second, you, we're missing, it was we're missing opportunities here. We're not doing, where's the close? You got to close it. Where is the, 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 the say here is this, this, this. And then, then you start paying attention, uh, to, uh, the lack of a conversation about sin. Yeah. And that's really where it starts to, to kick in because you, you go, I remember, um, I was youth director at three different churches. Uh, over 13 years, and so the last church. Did you
1: get moved around by the denomination? No, no. That,
3: as a youth director, you don't. No, okay. That's okay. just that's just you. So the last church I was at, I remember, and, and this one, this church uh, was in a different state, and we moved there for for some other reasons, and and so I didn't know anybody there. So I get there, and uh, I'm I'm meeting with one of the longtime volunteers, and uh, we're talking about stuff, and he he uh, he goes so you're, you're, a, you're a Roman's road guy. And I looked at him and I went, hmm. well, you tell me what you think that means. Yeah. Right. And so he starts to unpack this mushy, feel good, you know, this kind of not how we, you know, kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay. And,
1: and it, it, it made it may time out a second. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't know a Roman's road guy is somebody who has a, Clear understanding of the gospel and a way to communicate it that would lead somebody who doesn't know Christ to put their faith in Christ. Right. And so this guy's wanting to take a softer, gentler, right, everyone's included approach.
3: Right. Yeah. If you. Yeah. So if you come out and say, you know, look, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. Uh and yet God redeems us through Christ. It's a free gift for yeah. everyone who believes, right? And yeah. and and just kind of walking through Romans. That's so that's what he was he was saying, "Oh, that's that's your theology." You're one of those people who believes of,
1: you're only saved by faith. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and then you got you got to make a decision and uh you know, then you then you expect to live a different life and it's not just about you know, hey, be nice, go to church and yep. let's all just make sure we agree on the on the right political agenda. Yeah. Um, and that was another crack that really kind of stood out in uh, as you in the denomination. It's really it, it, it leaned hard left mm-hmm. on on its issues. So if someone uh, you know, so it, it, the the uh, the whole green movement would be it's just they just put a new label on it. That's creation care. Yeah. Right. Uh, We're going to end racism. That's we're going to create the beloved community. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's they they just put a new label on things.
1: And not that being careful with creation or ending racism is bad. No, but that's not the mission of the church. Right. You change people's hearts with the gospel and then that flows out. That's exactly right. Those, Those things are fruit. Of the gospel,
3: yes. But the church is not about the church has to be about the gospel. Yes, it has to be about uh, souls. John Wesley said this to his preachers: "Is you have only one job to save souls. Yeah, that's your job. And and the church has gotten the the United Methodist Church especially has has gotten." Um, so far off of that that we don't even want to talk about saving souls because that's offensive you yeah. see if you've called somebody a, they need to repent yeah what they need to repent of is um, you know voting for the wrong political party that's what they need to repent of. yeah yeah um not uh, not idolatry or adultery or yeah. uh, you know stealing or lying or any of that yeah. you don't need to repent of that um you know Everybody makes mistakes. That's you know whatever. But if you don't get on board with their political agenda, Mm -hmm. well then, you know that that's that's it. And so those are the cracks, really. That as Mm -hmm. I as I began to kind of come through the um, uh, as a youth director, and then of course the. The, the the issue of human sexuality, uh, which is just front and center, but that yep. that is a presenting issue. Exactly, in the it's church. a symptom. It's a You know, it's yep. like I explained it to people. I said, you know, look, when when uh, when a husband and wife uh, go to a marriage counselor, and the, and uh, the counselor says, "Oh, so, tell me what's going on," and, and the wife says, "He never takes the garbage out." Right. That's we're here. And, you know, that's the presenting issue. Right. That's the one that that, you know, it, it
1: brings the clash. But that's so been a presenting issue in my marriage. What's underneath that? At <laughs> exactly. least exactly. At least one layer is you don't care what I care about. Yeah. You don't care about what I care about or you don't value me mm-hmm. and what I want.
3: Yes. So yeah. now
1: we're starting to get down there. Yeah. A ways.
3: Yeah. You think I'm here just to serve you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not your mother. Right, right. So not that not that you I've had like these not that, that I've had these conversations.
1: <laughs> no. So uh what is what is the state of the United Methodist Church right now like officially? Is it is it splintered? I know there was something that happened recently. Yes. A vote or Well so
3: you know, every denomination is set up differently and, and runs a little differently. Ours, um, we have what we call the General Conference and it's it's uh, it's it, it meets once every four years and it sets the polity mm. for the church and that's been postponed now for, we we're supposed to have it in 2020, that canned can, 21 can, 22 can, now they're not gonna have it till 24.
1: Because we're trying to avoid issues? No, w-
3: yes, my personal opinion, Yes, we're trying to avoid the separation. We're trying to make it difficult for churches to leave the denomination. The United Methodist Church has a trust clause, so all the property that a local church has paid for, uh, maintained, you know, for, in some cases, 150 years or so, uh, is held in trust by the annual conference. So, you know, the conference could come in and say, well, you know, this church is experiencing trauma. Uh, and so we're going to change the locks on the door and and do whatever. And nobody could stop them. Wow. I mean, that's so if we wanted to leave the denomination, we would have to just say, Here's give up everything and walk out the door. Wow! Um, because of that trust clause, so the fighting, it, you know, the reason uh, the, the there's, there is schism. There is the church is in the midst of separating, and there are churches uh, all over the country now that are voting to leave. And there are there are certain provisions where you can do that, but they're onerous and they're. Um, unequally applied across the connection so that if a church in in Texas wanted to leave uh, they would have different terms than a church in Florida um, same basic terms but then the conference can add whatever it wants and so it becomes this hodgepodge of stuff and so the, the reason that the denomination is splitting and you people will read it in the news church splits over homosexuality same-sex yep. marriage yep but that, that's not it the, the reason the church is splitting, it's because we have fundamentally different views about the Word of God, yep. about who Jesus is, yep. about the, uh, the the nature of humanity, mm-hmm. um, about the mission of the church, uh, and so all of these things are those underlying issues. Where you know the B- the Bible says that that we are created in the image of God, but we're born sinners. Mm-hmm. Uh, that image has been shattered in us because of original sin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, that's scripture, whereas, you know, the, the mood today is you're basically good. Uh, everybody's good at heart. What you need is education, resources, opportunity. Right. You know, and so we have to provide those things instead of you need Jesus Christ to, to forgive yeah. your sin and regenerate
1: your soul. Back to what you were saying about they substitute the mission of the church being the proclamation of the gospel mm-hmm. to save souls. They substitute that for some kind of a social Yeah, oh absolutely. Gospel so, yeah, that, yeah.
3: Pick your favorite social justice cause. Yeah. And so, you know, every two years you'll get a whole new rollout of programs and, and uh, ideology. So
1: it's obviously no surprise to our audience, and the reason you're here is because in our view <laughs> and this isn't political, this is scriptural, biblical, spiritual. You're on the right side of that, standing strong for scripture. What's that like? I mean, what? I mean, it sounds like your church has your back. Yeah. But but how many other churches in your in your same situation are taking the same stand? How many of them are already already so, sold
3: out? Right. So um, uh, in in Florida, there are about six hundred and no, there are about five hundred and sixty churches, United Methodist churches just in, in the Florida conference. Um, uh, 106 of those churches have just filed a lawsuit uh, to, against the annual conference uh, saying that the bishop has uh, not fulfilled his fiduciary responsibility. He, he's not applying uh, the, the bylaws, our book of discipline. Uh, he's picking and choosing what he wants to go by. So are you does. guys part of that? Yeah,
1: oh, yeah. And so that's about 20%, a little less than 20% yeah. of the churches.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and there are more because... So, you know, and, and I said this here at the conference, so, so many pastors, uh, they're, they're conflict averse. They don't want to, to cause a problem. I mean, they're, it's one of the reasons I'm not a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I may not be one for long. We'll see. Uh, but, um, you know, they, 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 they just want to group hug people. They yeah. want to
1: take care of people.
3: They don't want to cause a Which, scene. I
1: mean, it's interesting that the strengths of a pastor mm-hmm. is to have a pastoral heart mm-hmm. and to have that kind of a disposition. Yeah. But like the greatest strengths are close to our greatest weaknesses. Yeah. So then when it's time to fight, like I can't fight because mm-hmm. I, I just don't know how to ha- handle that. Yeah. Well, and see, a good shepherd knows how to fight. Oh, amen. David
3: was a fighter. Bear, lion. Yeah. If something. Goliath. Yeah. If something threatened the sheep, David had no problem going after it that's Uh, yeah
1: that's great you know
3: and and he's he's the shepherd
1: you can have a pastoral heart and still fight when you need to yeah
3: because you're you're not fighting because i'm offended i'm not fighting because uh you know i want to uh make a name for myself i'm fighting for the church i'm fighting for these souls here and um you know these are these are my sheep i got to talk to the to the chief shepherd one day about how i shepherd this flock yeah and if i'm not faithful uh, and there are times that say, that require the shepherd to get the staff, yeah, and and beat back the wolves. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm it breaks my heart that that the wolves are inside the church. They're our own people. Yep. You know, but uh, but when you read the New Testament, uh, that that's been the case. Yeah. All along, when Paul writes to the Galatians. When he when John writes in Second John, Third John, you know. Uh, they're writing to correct false teaching and and to warn them of these false teachers that have crept into the church.
1: Yeah. So um, what's your prognosis? I mean, where is this headed? What's it going to look like? And wh- where are you among the 106? Are you one of the leaders? I mean, you're a yeah. larger church. Yeah. And a lot of people look into you. So we, we've got... Uh,
3: uh, a renewal movement. Uh, it's it's called the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Uh, it's a global movement, uh, and we have different chapters. So in the Florida chapter, I'm I'm one of the officers in the in the Florida chapter. And mm-hmm. so, uh, yeah. So I'm making calls. I'm trying to encourage pastors. We're doing holding prayer meetings and and that kind of stuff. Um, the the prognosis on how we get out uh, is still kind of up in the air. Uh, we're not sure, uh, but. I firmly believe we will be able to get out and we're not getting out so that we can be in a new independent, uh, kind of deal because, uh, Methodists, uh, believe in connection, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there, uh, John Wesley, he was very much about making sure that, that there, there, you know, we were, we understood we're not solo. And so, um, you know, we, the, uh, there's a new traditional Methodist Denomination that just started May 1st. It's called the Global Methodist Denomination, Global Methodist Church, hmm. um, where, strangely enough, uh, or ironically enough, I should say, uh, it is uh, doctrinally exactly what the United Methodist Church says it is. Yeah but isn't. And so, you know, w- w- one of the things that we try and explain to, to churches and to pastors is, do you, do you agree with where we are now doctrinally? And they say, oh yeah. I said, well, that's what we are, yep. except we're going to live it out.
1: Yeah. Yep. You know,
3: so, um, you know, that's, I, I believe we're going to get there. We're, we're in the midst of, of praying and, um, you know, trying to get our Bishop to, to have a conversation with us about a fair and equitable way to depart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're just trusting
1: the Lord to make a way. So are you taking heat from people who aren't part of this and from the, from the big,
3: not directly? I'm sure people are talking behind my back. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, some things, uh, you know, people, I'm not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't have to read all the stuff, but I'm, you know, I'm on several text threads with friends and pastors. Yeah. And so then they post pictures of what, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so, you know, yeah, there's all kinds of accusations flying about, you know, um, uh, we're, we're, we're white supremacists, um, mm. you know, because <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the craziest stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we i you know, the, the easiest one, we hate gay people. No, we don't. Um, but that's, you know, that's, you're going to get labeled. You're going to, you're going to get hammered. Um, uh, and so as an individual, no, I haven't felt any heat, Mm -hmm. um, uh, in that regard. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's no telling what will happen. Uh, you know, if we can't leave.
1: One of the things (laughs) I think is really interesting is that through this, Um, And this, when I say this, I mean this kind of drift that we've seen denominations and churches and ministries go through. And I'd say it's been for the last, I've been aware of it for at least 25 years, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's been way before that, Mm -hmm. but what it is created. Now, theologically I was raised Lutheran. I'm probably a little bit more of like a reformed Baptist theologically, Mm -hmm. like a Wayne Grudem type, right? Yeah. You would be a, Wesleyan Methodist yeah and so back in the day um, you know we might be in different groups that just didn't have a lot of com in common and didn't really rub shoulders a whole lot but it's created this situation where instead of being aligned by our denominational or our theological preferences and when I say preferences I mean theological things that actually don't matter that much right negotiables
3: right how much water do you need to be baptized yeah that kind of stuff yeah
1: um, instead of these these silos mm-hmm. of theological differences, now it's like there's a line across all of them, mm. and within different camps of theological differences, there are people who trust God's word uh-huh. and are committed to the gospel. Oh yeah, up here. Yep. And there are people who aren't down here, mm-hmm. so that you and I have way more in common. Way more than people who are of our own denominational or theological stripe who don't take scripture seriously and who have forsaken the gospel. And I think that's a really cool Mm -hmm. result of this Mm -hmm. because I think that we're living in a time where hostility toward the gospel and the truth of God's word has never been greater in America, for sure in America. I think it's been worse in the world. I mean, there's been some really bad times in history, Mm -hmm. but in America – it's as bad as it's been in terms of receptivity to God's yeah, oh, word and the gospel. Yeah. You preach about that this morning. Yeah,
3: it's not a question. You're right.
1: And so um, we don't have the luxury to splinter like-minded people on the essentials over stupid little stuff. Right. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I um, Like people would have war over Arminianism, Calvinism. Right. And it's like, eh, who cares? Who cares? Are, are you with me? Yeah. Let's go.
3: Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It, I think the Lord is. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. And, and you're absolutely right. I was having a conversation with someone today um, uh, about that very thing is that, you know, we have more in common. I have more in common as a, as a Wesleyan Methodist with John Piper. Right. Right. than I do my own bishop.
1: Right. Isn't that something? Theologically,
3: yeah. It's, it's, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, but that's just, that's because it really does. It comes down to the authority of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if you don't get those right, yeah. Um, everything else is out the window. Totally. So um, that's, that's really, and those are the, 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 the deeper uh, issues that have really fractured not just the United Methodist Church. Yeah. The Lutheran Church, the Episcopalian Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church. I mean, you you can go down the list. Even non-denoms are facing this now. For sure. um, You know, in my area in southwest Florida, there are some very large non-denom churches. And, you know, the pastor all of a sudden will come out and say, you know, we're going to be an affirming congregation. We're going to, you know, come as you are, you know, uh, that kind of stuff uh, and, and people are like, well, what's happening? I don't know what happened to my church. Cause I came here and, it, you know, it's the rock and roll church and it's the cool church and this is where all the people are. And so why, yep. you know, now I got to make this decision. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it affects
1: everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. Um, well, I mean, this week you have been, I said it up front and I'll say it to you again. I mean, you've been a, a hero and an inspiration to me because I've seen in a different denomination, how bad this is. Mm. And I've seen lots of pastors equivocate and capitulate. And I know there's a cost involved with standing. And so it's just inspiring to see this. And I hope others uh, who hear this and are in congregations that are walking through this, regardless of their denomination or Mm non-denomination, like you said, will be inspired to just kind of count the cost and take the stand. And when I say count the cost, I mean the cost of not standing. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, there's a cost to stand, but there's a cost to not stand. To not stand. stand
3: is so much greater. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because you're going st- to stand before the Lord. This is what we've lost uh, in the church. And when you lose it in the church, you're definitely going to lose it in the culture. Mm-hmm. And that's this. Every one of us is going to stand before the Lord and give an account of our life. Mm-hmm. We're gonna. He's gonna say, "Okay, let's tell me about that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, that makes me nervous. That's called the fear of God, right? You know, I, I don't want to stand before. I, I got enough issues uh, that he and I, I. I'm waiting. You know, trusting that he's going to work out. You know, in, in personally, uh, but to to bring stuff on myself yep. by not being faithful to what he clearly lays out is. that's crazy. I mean, it just doesn't. But because we don't talk about it, because because we have completely different views, a theological liberal person has a completely different view of who God is. Mm -hmm. God is love, and he affirms and accepts us as we are, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, He would never judge us. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be judged. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be accountable. Voila, I can, you know, that's disaster. But the scripture is super clear. Yep. I mean, it's appointed unto men once to die, and then the judgment. Right. The Apostles' Creed, the same—the Apostles' Creed says he's coming back to judge the quick and the dead. Yeah. And, you know, what do you—I don't know what they think that means other than, well, maybe, you know, that's just—we can dismiss that. that right. That, that that doesn't make people feel good or right. whatever. But it's a, you're no longer— you're no longer on the page of Christianity. Jay Gresham Machen, uh, he wrote a book in 1923, a hundred years ago, uh, addressing these issues. Uh, it's, the book's called Christianity and Liberalism. Wow! And um, uh, he 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 goes through and he talks about uh, who God is, the nature of God, the authority of Scripture, who Jesus is, and he basically lines it up and says, "Here's what theological liberalism is saying." Here's what the gospel's saying and his conclusion at the end of the book and he's not wrong is that theological liberalism is not Christianity. Right. It's a different religion altogether. Wow. They use the same uh, vocabulary mm. but they have a completely different, different dictionary. And so it, wow. you you have to know that and that's mm-hmm. what's got so many people, good people uh, who've been in churches for their their entire life confused because they hear uh theologically liberal pastors talk about the kingdom of God. They, they talk, use the same words. Yeah, they're using the same stuff. Here's grace. Here's here's this. But they mean completely different. Let me give things. you an
1: example of that. There, I call it Christian universalism. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea that you need Jesus and maybe not you need Jesus, but Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and we are his children because of all and And it's this universal application of what Christ did to everyone, Mm -hmm. regardless of whether they have faith or not. And so, I mean, I'm telling you what, I I mean, I sat and listened to this stuff. And unless you're listening very, very carefully, and unless you're following up with questions and conversations, you don't even know that the pastor believes this. No, no. And, And so you've got a bunch of people sitting in the church who think this guy's preaching the gospel Mm -hmm. but it's a gospel that's different than the bibles it's
3: not christianity it it, it just i mean it it sounds so harsh uh to say it that way but that's what it is yeah and until uh, we're willing to call it that i mean it's interesting uh, the darkness doesn't have to flee until the light comes on yeah and so when we are reticent to, to to flip that switch and call it for what it is, then it, it just it just oozes everywhere, and you you're you're in the swamp and you can't get out of it. And uh, you know, it's it's amazing to me to watch uh, as as some of these uh, pastors and, and bishops uh, uh, speak. I, I mentioned this in one of the one of the talks. You know, I asked a straightforward question of the bishop one time, and, and uh, he took 10 minutes to give a response that said nothing. We're
1: going to post a link to that sermon in the show notes of this podcast. That was incredible. You uh, need to go listen to this sermon. It's embarrassing. I ran for office hmm. a couple of times, state legislature. Yeah. And, I mean, that's worse than a bad politician trying to dodge a question. Well,
3: that's that's all it is. It's I have to hide what i really think and i have to I, I have to negotiate how can i continue to convince you that i'm something that i not i'm not and keep these people over here yep on board with me because he, because the person doing that knows that the that the theological left will eat him or her alive that's right the you know so let me let me i gotta walk that line and they'll let you walk the line yeah but if you were to come out and simply give a direct answer i mean a direct answer is the the most dangerous thing yep uh that that anybody can say anymore and jesus gave direct answers all the time that's that's what he did yeah um he had no problem fielding questions from people yep. he welcomed questions uh, he would ask questions in return to clarify and 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 to get you to think um, he still does that mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, oh my gosh jesus he's straight away straight you know here mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's, he doesn't make it complicated and it's not it, it is just it's just sad to watch the church act like a bad politician
1: yeah yeah so let's end this up on a positive or a more less heavy note (laughs) um your wife is sitting over here allison waiting for us to get done and tell us about so we got through college yeah and fraternity yeah and so tell us your story
3: yes uh the story my wife and i yeah 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 so uh my wife and i met in high school um Uh, Her family moved to to Florida uh, from Atlanta right before her senior year in high school. She still says she has scars from that, but you know, that's a terrible time to move. I try and explain to her, I think it worked out okay for you, babe. Uh, but, uh, anyway, um, so, uh, we didn't really start dating until, uh, after a couple years after college. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, went to the same church, uh, same same
1: high school. Did you go to the same college?
3: No. no. So
1: you kind of went and did your own thing for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Did you date someone else? Uh, yeah. Did she? Uh. Yeah. 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 And then,
3: and then yeah, and then you know when you go, oh, oh hmm, interesting. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, yeah. But I thank God. You know, we we laugh all the time. We we, uh, uh, we we'll joke every once in a while because we have different. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, different views on, on how God brings people together. Oh yeah. 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 So, uh, being a good Wesleyan, I think, you know, you make the choice. And, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm with her. Yeah.
3: Well, that's you know, and so, you know, I think it's, I think it's more like Forrest Gump. I think both are happening at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. I can go there. <laughs> yeah, I can so, go there. So, uh, but, uh, I tell you what, she is a, she's been a rock for me, um, just in, in ministry and encouraging me. There's no way, uh, we could have. Uh, there's no way I could have gone to seminary, and be a youth director while she's home with three kids. I was going to ask how many kids you have. We got three kids. So like what?
1: Boy, girl, boy, what? Yep,
3: boy, girl, boy. Okay. And uh, so um, th- this is. Yeah, while I was going to seminary, I was a youth director. I'd be gone one day a week. Try. I'd commute to Orlando, come back, and um, for you know, seminary. For seminary. And so she'd be home with the kids. And our oldest was five, six. And how do you explain to a five or six year old boy, dad's going to Orlando again this week and you're not coming because what's in Orlando? <laughs> <laughs> right? The mouse. Exactly. So you're like, oh, you know, so I'm sure my son has some kind of hang up that he'll have to work <laughs> through when he's forty about all that. I don't know, but but um, no, she she's been a rock and just so supportive and um, uh, so uh, so leveling in a good way.
1: You guys like going to baseball games?
3: Oh yeah, we love baseball.
1: You're wearing a Braves shirt right yeah. here. You oh, preached yeah. in a Braves shirt. Yes, that's just slightly World better champs. than preaching in shorts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, they were last year, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. So I mean, how do you? So I'm a baseball fan. People who listen to this stuff know that Yankees Mason and I are traveling around to see the Yankees play in every ballpark. Yeah. And I told you the story about we were in Atlanta mm-hmm. a few years ago. And then we went back last year because they built a new stadium. Yeah. And we kind of went half heartedly because it's like, eh, we've already done Atlanta. We already halfway checked it off. We just got to go jump through this hoop to check <laughs> this last stadium off. And it ends up being, I'd say, top five stadiums in major league it's great Baseball. Great
3: stadium. Yeah. Great team.
1: And you've got season tickets to spring training.
3: Spring training. Yeah. The Braves have their spring training right in, well, it, it's just across the line, but it's 10 minutes from my church. So uh, there are sixteen, seventeen home games uh, in the month of March, and so on those days, you know, I'm walking, walking in with the Brave shirt on, and our office administrator goes, "Great, it's another half day," you know, <laughs> and I, I just look at her and I say, "I say, look, this is my therapy, okay?" Absolutely, we're, I'm, we're out the I door. I love it.
1: So, uh, were you a Braves fan up in Virginia? Or no? So we lived in
3: Atlanta when I was a, you know. Elementary age kid. Okay. So yeah, so I, I became a Braves fan with uh, Dale Murphy, Bob Horner, Phil oh, Negro, yeah. all those guys in the 80s. And was
1: she a Braves fan the whole time? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. In fact, when Horner raised where in Atlanta? Oh, of course. Then. So when when uh, when uh, I called her dad. To ask permission to to marry, or to ask Allison to marry me, yeah, right? Good. And uh, he's watching a Braves game when I call, and so I call him up. I say, "Hey, Mr. Mr. Shaffer, how you doing?" And he says, "Awful. The Braves are losing." And I, I just was like, "Okay, well, this
1: will, this should be an interesting conversation then." <laughs> <laughs> so, being a Yankee fan, they finally got back on the winning streak in '96. They're unstoppable this year. I mean, I'm talking about like finally started winning World Series mm-hmm. again. And you remember that game. Series, the '96 one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why don't you give me a nice paper cup for lemon juice? Yeah, <laughs> here, here's another one that you'll appreciate. Where were you when Sid slid? That was.
3: I was in college, I think. What was that? '92.
1: Right around there. I was in high school. 90,
3: yeah, it was '92, '93. So I think There's I the was. Pirates
1: versus the Braves. It was the Pirates. I, NLCS,
3: right? Yeah, I was on the road with my fraternity. I was traveling. Uh, that was so. I was somewhere. Uh, probably in the Midwest, probably. So you didn't, you weren't watching it. I couldn't, no, I was, I probably didn't see it, but yeah, you know, it was the slide heard around the world. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was in the basement and again, I was a Yankee fan, but that was what was on TV. I was with my dad and my brother and I, I don't know if we were cheering for the Braves or what, but we were just spazzing out. I mean, Sid Bream chugging around oh my the bases gosh. so
3: slow. So if you go to the stadium today, they have his knee brace in a case.
1: Oh wow! So I didn't notice that when we were there.
3: Yeah, so they have the, they have a whole kind of like a museum kind of thing, and so kind
1: of behind home plate, right?
3: Yeah. So in, you, in the hallway. Yeah, in that. That hallway was way that, cool. Yeah. So his knee brace is there, so you could go and see his knee brace that he was wearing when he was running. We
1: looked at that, but we looked at it quickly. I yeah. missed that. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so I mean, are you empty nesters now? Yeah. Yep. So I mean, you need to do the ballpark tour. You need to see the Braves play in every ballpark.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. I work on Sundays, so it makes it a little tough to
1: get out. <laughs> Midweek games are cheap, though. That,
3: oh, yeah, they are. They are cheaper. We did we did make a game uh, in Atlanta this year a couple of weeks ago. Um, we went. Um, we were, had something to do up there, so we are up there. We get in and uh, we're sitting, you know, nosebleed section. Mm-hmm. But that. But beforehand, we're out in the. Um, what do they call it? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh, the Chop House. It's out in right field. Oh, okay. So they got this restaurant bar kind oh, of yeah, thing, yeah, and yeah. they open up the doors, and yeah. you can stand there in left field. So we're we sit uh, at a table, uh, stand there and watch the first inning, and then we're like, okay, let's go yeah. to our seats. Second inning, uh, someone cranks a homer right where we were standing, and bounces right over the table we were standing at. Oh my gosh. We're like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, you go to these spring training games. Do they have different balls for spring for spring training?
3: No, I have no idea. Um, I mean,
1: I wonder, do they have, like, spring training? Because you said you've got a couple of foul balls. Well, so. Do they have, like, different insignias on them, like spring training? I don't think so. I okay. mean,
3: so the foul ball that I got, I gave away. Because, you know, you you, uh, you if you pick up the ball and you start going, hey, I got the ball, and then there's a kid standing over there with his <laughs> hand up. You know, like. Mister, please throw me the ball. And if you don't throw him, you get booed. So you know. So Freddie Freeman cranks a foul ball, and I run down and I get it. And I'm so excited. And Allison's there, and I'm holding up to her, and I'm like, "Al, look, I got I got this ball." And behind her is this kid with his glove up. You know, like throw me the ball. And I was like, "Ah, oh, throwing the ball." And everybody goes, yay. I'm like, "Yeah, stick it." You know, that was a Freddie <laughs> Freeman ball, man. Come on. So two innings, three innings later. Uh, this was this was 21, so they only let like a fifth of the stadium uh, be full. You know, oh, yeah, so yeah. you what know, low attendance? So foul balls would bounce around for a couple minutes before anybody got them. And so <laughs> here, here this is a couple of innings later. Another foul ball comes down, and the third base coach gets it, and he's holding it up like he's gonna throw it. And the same kid runs down the aisle and holds this thing. Now he's got two foul balls. So I holler over at him like, "Hey, how about giving me my Freddie Freeman ball back?" <laughs> he didn't even look in my direction. Not even looking. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So. so you
1: got you got to wait to do this tour of stadiums till you have grandkids. Oh, that, that, yeah. Do you have grandkids? No. So you got because you get a kid when Mason. We started this when he was ten. Yeah, this kid could hawk balls like none other because he's a kid. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he got all the autographs. Mm-hmm. He got some batting gloves. Yeah. He got all kinds of stuff. But now he's eighteen. It's like yeah, you're done. It's heavy sledding. Yeah, yeah. And I sure got nothing.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta get in there when you're young and yeah, smart dads know throw your kid down in the in, the, in there. <laughs> get in there you push your kid get in there you got to yeah. do it now yeah. your clock is ticking
1: what reveals your pastoral heart being better than mine is i would not have thrown the kid the ball <laughs> <laughs> it was a moment of weakness yeah well hey mike hudson it's uh late you got to get back to your hotel what time do you fly out tomorrow
3: um eleven thirty, i think
1: so you got to get out of town like yeah we'll about nine ish yeah yeah Good. Well, thanks for coming to Cedar Falls. Absolutely, love to have you back. Hey, can oh. I plug my book real quick? Oh, for sure. And I was going to ask you before that, what did you do while you're up here? You did some kind of sightseeing oh, stuff. Oh,
3: obviously, we had to go to the Field of Dreams, so we did that. That was great. Stood on the pitcher's mound. Got a you know pitchers standing in the corn out there. You got to do that. Awesome. Um, went to the the schoolhouse here in, in Cedar Falls, the little red schoolhouse, okay. the one room schoolhouse. Eh. It's all right. Um, uh, and then just, we, we've got some friends, uh, that, that, uh, winter down in Venice and they just took us to see other cool Who are places. from here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who are from here. So
1: they took us They're the us ones around. that recommended you. Mike and Jan Mant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love super, those
3: guys. Super, great folks. And, uh, they took us to UNI Dome. Yeah. Uh, so we got to walk. Did you get inside? Yeah. Yeah. Dave took us in.
1: Dave Hansen? Yeah. Our operations yeah. guy?
3: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So he got us in there. He, so we walked around, saw that, um, uh, what are the fun things? We went, yeah. to, went to a real Iowa farm. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was good. I, I You know, you, you see the the, uh, the combines and stuff in a field. I, I, I'm a suburb kid. Yeah. You know, farm, but I'm standing there looking at this, standing next
1: to it, and I'm like, this thing is monstrous. Did, his, did they tell you the price of one of those bad boys? Uh, I,
3: well, he, he no, he didn't tell me the price. But. I mean,
1: I think, I think a new one that's pretty good, maybe John Deere. Biggish, I, th- I think you're looking at five to six now. Yeah, 100k. Uh huh. And you use that bad boy for four weeks a year. Yeah. Think of that. Uh huh. And I'm always like, why don't a few farmers go in on this and share it? The problem is, it's a th- they such it a narrow window of time.
3: Yeah, yeah. Everybody's harvesting at the same time. You're planting. I mean, at the I same wish time. we could
1: all sell something for that much. That's only used <laughs> for a month a year. <laughs> That'd be good. Incredible. Be good. Yeah. So you wrote a book called the Com- the campaign.
3: Yeah, the campaign. Good news for a partisan world. Um, and it's, it, it's a, a walk, it's, it's a look at the gospel of Mark through the lens of a political campaign. Um, and so uh, I was, a couple years ago, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a political junkie. I uh, you know, love America and history and all that stuff. And so that, that's real, oh, it's always been interesting. But I'm watching this presidential campaign at the same time I'm studying the book of Mark. And I'm going, there are a lot of parallels here. Um, you got a, a grassroots uh, candidate, you know, from the people he's, he's going from town to town. He's got a stump speech, repent, uh, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Yeah. Um, you've got opposition, uh, you've got, um, you know, uh, you know, a a populist, uh, movement that's taking place. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and then you've got, you got scandals, uh, you know, you, you, it's got everything including, um, uh, well, it's got the debates. It's got uh, it's got a, a vote there at the end. You I mean you have to decide who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so everybody uh, has to make a decision. Everyone has to vote on that. The
1: difference on the vote is he is who he is, whether you vote for him or not. And that is the clincher. That's Psalm two, right? Say it.
3: Yes. Or, uh, connect so, yeah, the dots so, for me. Yeah, Psalm two. You know why did why do the nations rage? Uh, why, you know, they let us, let's throw off their fetters, but the Lord in heaven laughs and he says, I have appointed my son, right? He, he, on my holy hill. Yeah. God's already determined the winner of the election. Yeah. It was not even a contest. Yeah. But this is how amazing Jesus is, right? So in Philippians two, where it says he emptied himself, um, Jesus emptied himself of his right to be king. Yeah. Uh, and he came as a servant. Um, so when he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's riding in humble on the fowl of a of, of a donkey, a colt, mm-hmm. right? Um, as a way of saying, I'm I'm not here to to conquer. I'm yeah. not here to oppress. I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. Yeah, you know. And so, uh, vote for me, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, so, Jesus, he he empties himself of this. I have a right to ride in on the white horse, which he will do, mm-hmm. that's that day's coming. But he empties himself of that when he takes on flesh so that he can appeal to us on the basis of love. He gives us the opportunity to vote for him. Mm. And so, uh, you know, you had asked, did, did he run? Did he run? Did he have to run for Messiah? Mm-hmm. No, no, he didn't mm-hmm. because he that's who he is. Yeah. But he does anyway.
1: Yeah. Because he humbles himself. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the kind of king you want. So where can people get that? The campaign? The bookstore sold out of it. Yeah.
3: Uh, on Amazon. If they they just type it in on Amazon, it should pop up. The campaign, good news for a partisan
1: world. That's great. And um, where else can people find you?
3: Uh, so uh, my church is Christ Venice Church. Uh, they can go to ChristVenice.com. It uh, pulls the church right up, and, and there's uh, sermons there. There's Bible studies, that kind of stuff.
1: Awesome. And I just thought, being a political junkie, you need to come up here during the caucus cycle. Oh, my gosh. It is insane. I know. I, I would, yeah, it would be insane. So I, I worked in uh, 2008 for Mike Huckabee. Yeah. And he won the Iowa caucuses. And just for our audience, just chill a second. I mean, I'm not being political. I'm not trying to take a stand or convince anything. I'm just telling my story. I, I always get nervous with this ministry uh, you, yeah. because it's we're not partisan, right, we're not right. political, yep. but this is just part of it. Um, Huckabee was outspent by Romney 20 to 1 in 08 up here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You would have followed that. Yep, Yeah. And I don't know how close you followed Iowa, but he was. I came on board about when he was polling at about 2 or 3%. percent hmm and then it started climb. I was the coalitions director for faith and family coalitions, a pastors coalition, a homeschool coalition. I worked for a couple few months. Did nothing consequential. Uh huh. But he wins, and the stories coming out of Iowa were he won because of all these coalitions that I was <laughs> that I that I was. Don't say
3: that out loud. <laughs> and so,
1: th- th- what was really embarrassing, I, I'm, I'm getting calls from friends that are like, Reister. Your name's the New York Times. Well, I was, I was on the front of the New York Times with Mike Huckabee one time down in this little picture at a pizza joint in Waterloo or in the USA Today. There was some write up about how me and a couple other people on the staff were basically responsible for delivering this one. We did jack squat. Yeah. And what was embarrassing about it was we're getting all this public credit. But everyone on the inside <laughs> knows we didn't do squat. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so it's not like you can be like, yeah, look at me. It's yeah. like you're kind of like you got your head down like, man, that <laughs> sucks. Uh, but but that was – and so because of the caucuses, every four years, you know, then 2012 – 08 was my first real foray into it. You know, we paid attention in, in 2004 and 2000 um, – but then 12 was a big year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Santorum won the caucus that year in Iowa.
3: Did he? Okay. And then
1: 16, Ted Cruz won it.
3: Yeah. I remember
1: that Iowa, since I've been paying attention to caucuses has never selected the Republican nominee. And that's kind of a joke that new Hampshire makes against Iowa. (laughs) But, but all that to say it is a zoo and you would love it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the thing is, is, you don't even have to work hard to, like, sit down and have coffee with every one of these candidates.
3: Oh, wow.
2: They're
1: just, they're, like, thick as thieves. Yeah. And it's like you're just running into them. Uh-huh. I mean, before Huckabee really took root, he was going around the state. I wasn't on board yet, but I heard these stories. He's going around the state and having, like, luncheons at cafes, running for president of the United right, States.
3: Right, right. And that's how he should be. And
1: there's, like, three people there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> It's just humiliating. Yeah. For the, for the he's the governor of Arkansas running yeah. for president, but the thing is is the guys who get weeded out because it's humiliating or they don't want to do that grassroots mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. they have no shot right in Iowa yeah now there are other markets where you can just buy it right with
3: ads right well it's like if you remember uh, I think it was 16 Giuliani he skips yeah he says I'm just going to go to Florida just killed him yeah and yeah he by, by the time he got to Florida it was over he's dead yeah yeah, I mean, you, you gotta you got to put in the time. You better shake hands. You would not believe
1: the access. And I've always wondered, for people like you or me that are interested in politics, I wonder if there's a higher percentage of us in Iowa who get involved because of the crazy access and the mm-hmm. crazy hype that is around us every four years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, because everyone and their dog could go work on a campaign mm-hmm. and hang out with the presidential candidate. Right. Like it's nothing.
3: Right. Yeah. By the time they get to Florida, it's pretty much a machine. Uh, yeah. You know, you're, you're, it's, it's, uh, it's big stops. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, my area, Southwest Florida is, it leans heavily conservative and so you don't really get,
1: because they're not competing for anything. yeah
3: they're not yeah so they don't really show up you got to go to Tampa which is about an hour north or, or you know Orlando or something like that if you want to if you want to go to a a rally or you want to see a yeah. speech somewhere or something like that you, they're not they're not swinging through Venice um, yeah that's just not that's not going to be on their stop, So
1: incredible yeah anyway uh, glad you came to Iowa for the first time we'll hope Great. to get you back in the future love to love to it's been a blast awesome thanks Mike yep.
0: to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number 2, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.